Please be aware, the stories, theories, reenactments, and language in this podcast are of an adult nature and can be considered disturbing, frightening, and in some cases even offensive. Listener discretion is therefore advised. Welcome, heathens. Welcome to the world of the weird and unexplained. I am your host, Nicole Delacroix, and together we will be investigating stories about the things that go bump in the night, frighteningly imagined creatures, supernatural beings, and even some unsolved mysteries. But I promise all sorts of weirdness. So, sit back. Grab your favorite drink and prepare to be transported to today's Dark Enigma. And on today's Dark Enigma, well, I got a very lengthy email from a listener that basically boiled down to why don't I ever discuss the beautiful mythology of the Indian subcontinent? Well, guess what? I heard you. And by the way, that email was rather long. You could have just said, you know, hey, can you do a story from India? That would have been perfect. But okay, so today's story is going to be from the Indian myths and legends. So let's hope I do them justice. And I'm just going to warn you now, don't send me an email about how badly I pronounced them because I'm going to be doing my best. I'm just saying. All right, with that said, we will still be playing our drinking game. And as you know, the drinking game is only for those of us that are at home and have nowhere else to go tonight. The choice of libation, as always, my darlings, is yours, so choose your poison accordingly. All right, now for the game part. How about every time I say gods, that will be a single shot, and every time I say demons, that'll be a double shot. And hey, just for fun, how about every time I screw up a name, that's a triple th- triple shot. So be prepared to be very drunk. (laughs) All right. Now that the business end is out of the way, we can jump headfirst into today's Dark Enigma. So don your very best sari or lungi, preferably in very bright and invigorating colors. And let's dive into today's offering of demons, giants, and fairies from Indian myth and legends. Dum, dum, dum. I'm sorry, I gotta throw some drama in there somewhere. I'm just saying. All right. The gods are the suras, and the demons are the asuras, or non gods. This distinction, however, did not obtain in the early Vedic period. Originally, the deities, and especially Varuna and Mitra, were also called asuras. But in the later part of the Rigveda, the term is applied chiefly to the enemies of the gods. In the Arthavaveda, as in subsequent epic literature, the Asuras are simply demons and giants and goblins. Oh my! (laughs) Okay, I'm sorry I can't help myself. No conclusive explanation can be offered offered as to how this remarkable change took place in the course of the centuries embraced by the Vedic period. It may have been due primarily to sectarian strife between the religious teachers of those tribes which had been influenced by Babylonian modes of thought and those which clung tenaciously to the forms of primitive Aryan nature worship, and perhaps also the worship of ancestors or Petrus. 
In the old Persian language, which, like the Greek, places an H before a vowel where S is used in Sanskrit, Ahura becomes Asura, also signifies God. The Zoroastrian, oh, there goes a shot, because yeah, I butchered that pronunciation. <laughs> Zoroastrian chief god is called Ahura Mazda, the wise lord. As Varuna is addressed in early Rigvedic hymns, wise Asura and king, and the all-knowing Asura who established the heavens and fixed the limits of the earth. On the other hand, Deva, in the Iranian dialect, which is cognate with Sanskrit, Deva, god, came to mean demon. Asura is derived from the root Asu, which signifies the air of life, and Deva from Diavi, to shine, or Dewu, heavenly. Interesting. The view has been urged that the revolt against Asura in India was due to the hatred cherished towards the Persians, who had become subject to the Assyrians, the worshippers of Ashur. It was originally based on the assumption that Assyrian aggression caused the migration of Aryan tribes towards India. Subsequent research, however, has tended to dispel this theory, and it has been found, for instance, that Aryans were associated with the Kassites, who overthrew the Hammurabi dynasty of Babylon prior to the invasion of the Punjab, and that the Assyrians were, for a period, vassals of the Mitanni kings, who had Aryan names and worshipped Indra, Varuna, and Mithra in Mesopotamia and Asia Minor. The weak point in the Ashur-Asura theory is that it throws no light on the process which caused the Persian Deva to be applied to demons instead of to gods. How the gods of the Indian Aryans became the demons of Persia, and the demons of Persia became the gods of India, is a problem for which a solution has yet to be found. The expository and speculative books of the priests the Brahmanas and Upanishads, which are attached to the Vedic hymns, do not help us greatly in accounting for the change. We read that the gods and Asuras contended together, and that the former, being less numerous than the latter, took some bricks and placing them in a proper position to receive the sacrificial fire with the formula. Thou art a multiplier, they became numerous, and in one of the Brahmanas, we are informed, and I quote, The Asuras performed at the sacrifice all that the Devas performed. The Asuras became thus of equal power with the Devas, and did not yet yield to them. Thereupon the Devas had a vision of the silent praise. The Asuras, not knowing it, did not perform the silent praise. This silent praise is the latent essence of the hymns. Till then, whatever weapons the Devas used against the Asuras, the Asuras used in, reven in revenge against them. But when the Devas had a vision of the silent praise and raised it as a weapon, the Asuras did not comprehend it. With it, the Devas aimed a blow at the Asuras and defeated them, for they had no comprehension of this weapon. Thereupon the Devas became masters of the Asuras. He who has such a knowledge becomes master of his enemy, adversary, and hater. End quote. This explanation is but an echo of the Indra-Vitra -Vitra combat. 
Another statement is to the effect that the Devas gave up falsehood and adopted truth, while the Asuras gave up truth and adopted falsehood. I guess that could be said of any religion, really. Further, we learned that when a sacrifice was performed, the Asuras put the offerings into their own mouths, while the Suras, or gods, gave the offerings they received to one another. A slight distinction. The Asuras became completely identified with the demons and giants. They symbolized evil, darkness, and drought. In epic literature, we, re- we read that in ancient times, the gods and Asuras were very active in destroying one another, and the terrible Asuras always succeeded in defeating the gods. Indra goes forth with his thunderbolt against Kesin, the leader of the Asuras, who wielded a great mace. This mace, the demon hurled against the god, but Indra cut it up on its course with his thunderbolt. Then Kasin, furious with rage, hurled a huge mass of rock at him. Indra, of a hundred sacrifices, rent it asunder with his thunderbolt, and it fell down upon the ground. And Kasin himself was wounded by that falling mass of rock. Thus sorely afflicted, he fled." Indra rescues a beautiful lady who had been seized by the Asuras, and she informs the god that her sister had previously fallen a victim to the demon. The Asuras obstructed sacrifices. They were ever hovering round altars to discover if rites were properly performed. If a priest did not perform a ceremony in orthodox fashion, the sacrifice was of no avail, because the Asuras devoured it. If a man neglected a part of a ceremonial performance, a demon might take possession of him and accomplish his ruin. One of the terrible asuras is the demon Rahu, who causes eclipses by swallowing the sun and the moon, like the Chinese dragon, the wolf Managarm of Teutonic mythology, and the Grecian demons who devour Helena, the sun maiden, sister of the twin Dioscuri. In the Vedic period, Rahu was represented by the demon Svarbohano. Yeah, I know. I screwed that one up too, so go ahead and take a, take a shot. The Asuras of Ocean are the Dayatyas and Danavas, the descendants of the chaos hags Ditu, Diti and Danu, and Kasyapa, a superhuman sage. These are the giants and demons who fought against the gods like the Titans, the Irish Fomorians, and the Norse Utans. Indra confined them in this region, which is called Patala, and they remain there, afflicted by time, and are subject to the sway of Varuna. Like the Norse giants, they will be let loose to take part in the last battle. An Asura fire burns constantly in Patala, fed by water. It is bound and confined, but cannot be extinguished. When the end of all comes, it will burst forth and burn up the three worlds. In Teutonic mythology, the universe is similarly doomed to be consumed by fire at Ragnarok, the dusk of the gods. It's kind of interesting to me how all of these religions all start to sound the same. They just name the players different. It's like everybody was writing the same mythology, but they just changed the names. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. Could be just me. Okay, anyways, back to the story. The abodes of these giants and demons are exceedingly beautiful. They are agleam with gold and precious stones. Seats and beds are provided in the mansions, and there are also recreational grounds, and forests and mountains resembling clouds. 
Indeed, the Diatas and Danavas live pretty much in the same manner as the gods, for the gods and Danavas are brothers, although ever hostile to one another, so basically like siblings. The Danava women are of gigantic stature and wear jewels as large as mountain boulders. When terrified by the attacks of the gods, they bewail like onto cranes in autumn. One of the Dayata tribes reside in the moving city named Haranyapura, which they constructed for their protection. Sometimes it sinks below the sea or under the earth, and at other times it soars across the heavens like the sun. Indra, as we have seen, has a similar aerial city. In the underworld, however, dwell the Nagas, the demonic cobras. They are of human form to the waist, the rest of their bodies being like those of serpents. Their king is Shisha, also, who is also named Vasuki and Karkotaka. He is sometimes represented with a thousand heads and resembles Typhon, who fought with Zeus. In the Ramayana, he is Ravana, the demon of Ceylon. The prototypes of Shisha and his hosts are the dragons Vitra, the encompasser, Ahi, the confiner, and fierce Kushna, the scorcher, who spits out the sunset fires and burns up day. When serpent worship became prevalent among the Aryans, the Nagas were regarded as demigods. They were occasionally the friends of man, and to those who favored, they gave draughts of their nectar, which endowed them with great strength. Their city was the paradise of serpent wor worshippers. The female Nagas were beautiful nymphs, who were sometimes wooed by mortals. As the Asuras are the enemies of the gods, the Rakshas, or the Rakshashas, are the enemies of man. These demons are night prowlers. They have greatest power after the first 40 seconds of great gray twilight preceding nightfall. That is very specific. 40 seconds. Is that all that, that they get? I mean, they don't even get a full minute. I'm just going to say that there's a joke in there somewhere. I'm just saying. Anyways, they travel faster than the wind and go through the air. They also have power to change their shape. Sometimes they appear in the guise of tigers, bears, or great monkeys, and their hues vary from yellow to red and blue to green. In the Ramayana, they are found associated with the Asuras of Ceylon. A spy enters a demon dwelling and sees them in all their shapes, some frightfully deformed, with small bodies and long arms, some as grotesque dwarfs, others as horrible giants with long projecting teeth, some with one eye, others with three eyes, some with one leg, two legs, or three, or even four, and some with heads of serpents, horses, or elephants. In the Mahabharata, the Rakshas are like gorillas. They have arrow-shaped ears, big red eyes, and red hair and beards, and mouths like caves. They feast on human beings and cattle. The heroic Bema, like Siegfried Dietrich of Bern, Beowulf, and Finn Makul, is a mighty slayer of these man-eating demons. They are impervious to weapons, but Bima wrestles with them and breaks their backs or tears them asunder after lively combats with trees and boulders. Female Rakashas sometimes fall in love with human beings and transform themselves into beautiful women. Bima takes one for his bride and she carries him through the air to a celestial retreat among the mountains. The most loathsome Rakashas are the goblin-like Pishayas, 
who are devourers of dead bodies in cemeteries and are exceedingly vile and malignant fiends. They are the bringers of diseases and wasting fevers. In the Arthavaveda, Agni is invoked by the priests, who mutter charms over suffering and possessed mortals to take the pasakas between his teeth and devour them. There are those who hound us in our chambers while shouting goes on in the night of the new moon, the flesh devourers who plan to injure us and whom I overcome, the, the priest declares. I plague the Pishkas as the tiger, the cattle owners, as dogs who have seen a lion. These do not find a refuge. From villages I enter, Pishkas fly away. May Nariti, the goddess of destruction, take hold of this one. Kali, a demon who holds friendly converse with the gods in the story of Nala, is attended by Dwapara, a flesh eater like the Pisakas. The Panis are aerial demons who are hated by bluff, honest Indra because they are the inspirers of foolish actions, slander, and unbelief and the imps who encourage men to neglect homage to deities. The black Dysuyas are repulsive of aspect and jealous-hearted. They are the stealers of the cloud cows who are held captive for Vitra in the cave of the demon Vala. The Darbas, the terrors, are a variety of Pishkas. Reference is made to, in the Mahabharata to ugly vartikas of dreadful sight, having one wing, one eye, and one leg. When they vomit blood facing the sun, a dreadful happening is known to be at hand, because they are fiends of evil omen. Among the supernatural beings who are sometimes the enemies, but in most cases the friends of mankind, are the Yakshas, the Gandharvas, and the Apsaras. The Yakshas are occasionally referred to as the Punujanas, the good people. They may be of human stature, with big benevolent eyes, or powerful giants who can fight as fiercely as Rakshashas. They are guardians of hidden treasure, like the dwarfs and giants of Teutonic legend, being associated with Kuvera, god of wealth, whose abode is situated among the Himalayan mountains. In Kuvera's domain are found multitudes of spirits, who do not visit the world of men as a rule, but remain near the treasure for purpose of defeat or defense. Some are of dwarfish stature, some of fierce visage, some hunchbacked, some of blood-red eyes, some of frightful yells, some are feeding upon fat and flesh, and some are terrible to behold, and all are armed with various weapons and endued with the speed of the wind. And this is just a small sampling of the beautiful Indian myths and legends. But I find it very interesting how so many of the things that we see in one religion, i.e. the Teutonic legends of like the Norse gods and things like that, are repeated here in the Indian myths and legends. It just makes it seem like there is at some point a story where everything began and hopefully we will come across that story and when we do i will definitely tell it to you but on that note we have come to the end of our episode today i thank you for joining me here today and i hope you'll take some time to reach out to me and share your thoughts about today's episode you can always reach me and the show at darkenigmapodcast at gmail.com. And if you have a suggestion for a future show, you want to share your thoughts about today's episode, you're bored and you need somebody to chat with, 
drop me a line because I do reply to every single email. And on that note, that's all the time that I have for you this evening. I thank you for joining me here on Renegade Talk Radio. And you guessed it, don't forget to tune in next time. See you, my heathens. I love you. We don't sugarcoat shit. This is Renegade Talk Radio. Renegade Talk Radio.